Moncrief on News Talk. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Time to uh, look outside the borders of our country. Jonathan de Burke Butler joins us uh, once again. Afternoon, Sean. How are you getting on? Uh, right, uh, DRC. Mm. We're going to go to uh, first, and uh, ch- uh, now it's it's an odd story in the sense of so many appalling things are happening all the time. And uh, a reporter at the DRC, uh, this is chimps being kidnapped. Yes, this is uh, the Democratic Republic of the Congo, and three baby chimpanzees have been kidnapped from a sanctuary in the southeast of the country, right? So it happened in the province of Haut Katanga, okay? And they were stolen from the sanctuary, which is run by a, an NGO called Young Animals Confiscated in Katanga. Very catchy. Yeah, uh, very catchy an acronym, name. yeah. Yeah, um, the incident happened actually back in September, a good, good while ago, right? So it was September the 12th uh, that it actually happened. It happened at 3 a.m., Two days before the incident, uh, the people who run the sanctuary noticed that the server that runs the CCTV had been stolen, right? So they took action on that. They changed all the locks on the cages, bar one. Okay, mm-hmm. So the chief went around and, and uh, the, the chief of the sanctuary went around, closed all the sanctuaries, bar one, and that happened to be the enclosure for the youngest chimps, right? There was five of them in there. And when they woke up the next day, three of them had disappeared, right? So they are Manga, Cesar and Hussein who have gone missing. Now, what's interesting about this is that they're still missing. And this is why it grabbed my attention, because nothing like this has happened before. They've been kidnapped and the people who are holding them to ransom are looking for approximately $200,000 to get them freed. Right. Okay. And they so they've issued this uh, the ransom notes. Yeah, they point. have. Yeah, they did a while back. They sent a video showing the chimps in surrounded in in, in in surroundings that weren't particularly pleasant for them. But they assured the sanctuary that they were still alive. And uh, unofficial sources say they're looking for two hundred thousand uh, dollars. But the newspaper that you know reported this is fairly reliable. So uh, uh, yeah, uh, and and. Does it look like it'll be paid? Does it look like this sanctuary even has $200,000? The sanctuary certainly doesn't have $200,000. Now, I know that a Belgian, uh, ironically enough, a Belgian um, Mm -hmm. uh, group has got together to try and put, put, put together money, which they are saying they're going to invest in the future of the security of the sanctuary, <laughs> but it might well be a way of, of raising the money to, uh, to, to, to get them freed. I know that five people have been arrested so far and those five people worked on the sanctuary itself. Yes. Um, so they might well have been involved in this kidnapping at uh, some level. Yeah, one would wonder why they changed the locks on every cage except for that one. Indeed, um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, perhaps, and, and the theft of the server as well. Uh, right, Kosovo, we're going to go to next now. I think this is, uh, you've told us about this before, but it's not, it's around about, ostensibly about number plates on cars, but not really. Yeah, it's not really. I mean, this is this is Kosovo, which uh, has a population of about nearly two million people, right? Mainly ethnic Albanians, but there is a small group of people up in the north who are Serbians and see themselves still as Serbians, very much connected to, to that part of the world. So Kosovo, as you remember, fought a, w- a war effectively between 98 and 99. That's when Milosevic mm. was at his worst. And then Kosovo declared independence in 2008. Okay, It's recognised by most countries around the world, but there are a few that don't. One of them is, of course, Serbia. Right. So you have got this ethnic minority up in the north of Kosovo, which... Uh, it's a bit like our own situation up 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 the road, mm. right? Who you know, symbols and songs and flags and all that kind of thing are very important. And in this instance, it's number plates that are very important. 
So the Serbians, or a lot of Serbians in this part of the world, have number plates that they really shouldn't have, right? They should, they're Serbian number plates, but they have been told repeatedly by the government of Kosovo that they're going to have to change these, right? They were given a deadline the other day mm. that any car that was carrying these number plates would be confiscated. October the 31st, yesterday was the time. Now, a few days earlier, various different parties connected to, that represent the Serbians in that part of the world said that they were going to go out on strike, roadblocks, all that kind of thing, which is something they had done before during the summer uh, when a similar dispute happened. It looks like the latest on this, and I just checked this before I came in, that Kosovo, under pressure from the United States and the European Union, who realise that it's not just about number plates. Yes, of course, yeah. Have, has extended this deadline by six months. But what in God's name is going to happen over those six months, nobody knows. Because this is just one of these things that's going to keep on going and going and going yeah. until somebody forgets about it the, or they grow out. Uh, uh, but, but the number of plates that are on their cars are mm. these number of plates that are issued by the Serbian government then? Is that, is that yeah, what they're so getting them from? That's where they're getting from. So I think what's happening is that you've still got, some of them are old from second hand from that time, you know, pre-2008, right, okay. okay? Uh, but I think that there's probably people operating in this part of Kosovo and they still sell cars with Serbian number plates on them, right? Mm-hmm. So there, mm-hmm. there is a level of, shall we say, de facto autonomy in this, yes, in, yeah. this in, the, in these regions. And it's interesting to note that only 13 cars had changed their license plates in and around this region and three of them had their houses set on fire. So it's not something that... People would people, be particularly keen to do yeah, Exactly, yeah. So, yeah, is there any number on how many cars... It might be. to do. I yeah. don't know, actually. Great yeah. question. No, no, I, have, I haven't a clue, to be honest with you, but I imagine that it's, it's, it's relatively large. Yeah. The, uh, and is, is this indicative of a wider problem in the sense that they're very uneasy within Kosovo? Kosovo hasn't done much to kind of integrate them into wider they, society? They, they, haven't or, want, they haven't want... I'm sorry, yeah, but there is yeah. two sides to the story. They haven't want to be integrated into, into yeah. society, really. They really don't want that much to do with them, as far as I can tell. I'm open to correction on that. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, they complain, of course, that they haven't been integrated into society or they're not welcome. But at the same time, if you're going to be doing stuff like that, I think it indicates that you don't really want to be. There is a very bitter history there. Oh, uh, terrible. Nonetheless, yeah. it should be pointed out. Uh, right. Uh, Paraguay, we're going to go to uh, next. Now, this is a story about a, a dead rebel's coffin. Yes, this is a, a young man, a 39-year-old, Osvaldo Villalba. He was the head of the Paraguayan People's Army, right? A Leninist Marxist, one of those groups in South America, yeah. known as the EPP. Okay, in Spanish, it would be Ejército Pueblo Paraguay or something like that. Okay, that's why it's called EPP. Okay, now he, to cut a long story short, was captured and killed uh, by a group of soldiers who were out on a random patrol in a very remote part of Paraguay uh, last week, I think it was. His body was taken uh, and put in a coffin, obviously, and it was about to be buried. And as the mourners were bringing him to the graveyard, they decided to take a bit of a pit stop. They went to the prison where his sister, Carmen, is serving a very long term in prison for her part. She was the leader of the EPP before him. Right. And when she was put in prison, he took over. Right. So the minister for justice, somehow the the calls went up the chain very quickly and the Minister for Justice refused them entry into the prison, right? The idea was, let the coffin in, let the sister say goodbye and then it would go out again. Mm, They went away towards the cemetery, which happened to be nearby the prison and five minutes later they came back and were let in. Now it appears that a group or 
some inmates within the prison said that they were going to go and riot, burn the place down effectively if the coffin wasn't allowed into the prison. Now, this poor Minister for Justice had to make a decision on his feet. Yeah. And he decided, right, look, for the overall, you know, betterment of the situation, I'll let the coffin in. You can have your five minutes and then go and bury the lad. And that's what he did. But unfortunately for him, it means now he has been fired and he was only a day in the job. He had been appointed on Tuesday and he was fired that very day. I was thinking not even the Tories are that quick in their turnaround of ministers. Oh God, that's unfortunate. So so the official government line is we shouldn't have let her in. We should have let the right go ahead. The the problem is obviously there's an awful lot of people who are victims of this particular military Mm. group. They're small, but they've killed Mm. a lot of people, right? And they have, in fact... Uh, I think they kidnapped a former vice president back in September of 2020 and he's still missing. Nobody knows where he is. So effectively, this Minister for Justice let this guy in, you know, and said, yeah, yeah, go on, you can do what you like. And a lot of people were very unhappy about it. So the president wasn't in much of a a position. Uh, He had to fire him, really. Yeah. Uh, right, uh, uh, Papua New Guinea we're going to go to uh, next and uh, this is a, a, a row over a football match. And it appears that 30 it was people are dead. Yeah, 32 people would you oh, believe. God. It's gone up since uh, I originally came across the story. It, it, tribal warfare is nothing new in, in Papua New Guinea. Right, mm. We've reported on it before. I could give you a couple of examples but we'll probably stick with this one. And it's unsurprising when you when you... You take into consideration there's 600 islands in the place, 8 million people, and there's 839 languages there, right? I think it has more languages than any place on Earth, actually. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So that gives you an idea of how how many tribes there are and how many differences they have to get over. Um, This appears to have started over a football match, okay? It happened on an island, a remote island called Kiriwina Island. There's only about 12,000 people living on it. Uh, it started, as I said, at the end of September. Okay, again, it, it started a while ago, but it's it's keeping on going. Um, between the Kulamata people and the Kuboma people on the island, right? One person was killed uh, from the uh, Kuboma tribe. Okay, and the villagers went and retaliated by attacking the. Kulamata's yam gardens, would you believe, which, you know, economically would be very important to them. Okay, yeah. Um, It got out of hand and since then 32 people have been killed. 15 people are still missing. As I said, you know, tribal rivalry or warfare, if you want to call it that, is, um, is not... Uh, something that we're unfamiliar with in Papua New Guinea, but this is uh, this is something and, quite and, crazy. And how did football uh, spark this? It was a row over a football match. Uh, again, I don't, I don't know the exact details yeah, of what yeah. happened or whether it was a game that they were watching on TV or whether it was a game that they were playing. But it's, it, it, it just escalated out of hand and uh, got out of hand and then uh, and we're now at this point where it still hasn't stopped. So, mm. you know, police have been sent from Port Moresby, Politicians have got involved, but there's st- uh, still tit for tat killings going on. Now, usually it's over land. You know, there's mm. usually a land dispute that happens. Um, but this is like something out of Gulliver's Travels. Uh, and but presumably, uh, the police there are spread so thin; yeah. it's such a huge area that's that a, you, you just can't contain it. That, really. that, that's a great point, right? So this is this is as I said, six hundred islands. 13% of the population, as far as I know, something like that, live in urban centres. So that means, you know, the vast majority still live out in the countryside, up in the hills, in those forests, densely mm. covered forests, that kind of thing. So getting to people and trying to control people uh, is very difficult. But they used to have better controls 
within um, between themselves and that seems to have disappeared yes, a little right. bit the tribal elders have a lot more control I was reading about it where, where the um, proliferation of, of serious weapons has had an awful lot to do with it as well so back in the day when they were, you know, not that long ago, mm. without coming across as ignorant when they were hunting or when they were killing each other with sticks and whatever else. It was more difficult to get It was somebody. more, yeah, it yeah. Was more difficult. So now that the, the, the numbers have gone up, the escalation and the revenge goes up as well. Yeah. Finally, uh, the UK we're going to go to, and uh, this is uh, this is about a prison. This is interesting. Now, it wasn't like a sexual relationship they were having or anything, it but it was like a friendship. It was a friendship that was going places, perhaps, right? Yeah. So this involves a prison officer by the name of Rachel Martin. She looks to be in her sort of late 30s, early 40s, that sort of uh, region. And she had a relationship with a man called Raymond Abraham. I don't know how long he was in prison for or what he was in prison for, right? This was in Guy's Marsh in Dorset. Mm. So not far from Brighton, I suppose, down in the south of the country. And she's pleaded guilty to eight counts over her relationship with this prisoner. Now, there was two other prisoners involved as well, who I believe were, were friends of his. Most of it involves mobile phones and topping up mobile phones and communication and that kind of thing. Though there was a parcel containing high-value designer clothes and footwear, as well as female underwear that had been sent to him. Now, as I said... She has pleaded guilty to these eight counts. Um, She has been found guilty and she's returning for sentencing on the 15th of December. The judge, a man by the name of Jonathan Fuller, basically said that she can expect a significant custodial sentence Mm -hmm. uh, put upon her. Yeah. Right, so what should we look out for over the next week or so? Yeah, a few things coming up. Um, it's, it's always interesting when uh, presidents, uh, African presidents go and visit China. Um, it usually involves a big economic deal of some sort. So the president of Tanzania, who's of course a woman, Samia Hassan, is paying a state visit to China tomorrow. You can expect a lot of coverage of the US elections to ramp up for next week. So mm, the House of yeah. Representatives, I think that's the full deck, isn't it? They're, they're electing there. Yeah. And then 35 out of 100 Senate in the Senate are going through. it seems to be neck and neck anyway yeah, at the moment. Yeah, and that's going to be really interesting. And then, of course, COP27, the build-up to, to that will start next week as well. Jonathan, thanks a million. Thanks as sure. ever, Jonathan uh, DeBarca Butler there. Moncrief. Brought to you by Avant Money. Think you're getting the best value from your bank? Think again. Weekdays at 2pm on News Talk.